Welcome back to another episode of the Shema Podcast, my friends. I have a topic I want to discuss, and I'm telling you guys, it's a bit of a heavy one. It's one I've been thinking about doing for well over a year now. And the reason I have hesitated doing it because I felt it just, it's not my place. It's not my place, but the more I consider it, it's a real problem that we have as a Jewish people. And it seems like it's such an easy fix. And I'll explain where I'm going with this. You look at the Kiru Jewish outreach enterprises that are out there, like Torch, doing fantastic work, having tremendous impact on Jews. Yours truly is a result. And you look at other organizations like Eshat Torah. I, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with. People that are now rabbis who were secular Jews taking that birthright trip to Israel, found out about the Eish HaTorah free breakfast and went for it. And somehow Rabbi Weinberg was able to, over the course of that breakfast, convey to those listening that the Torah is divine, providing all the proofs necessary to make it unquestionable and why it was incumbent on every Jew to fulfill it over the course of a breakfast. And that propelled them Because once a Jew has that information, it propels them to learn Torah and learn how to live in a Torah-observant way. I went through the same thing. On my own, it took me six months. Six months. I just sat there and read logical proofs. I found it fascinating. Until finally, like a Mount Sinai experience, I had no free will. I knew it's true. comes from the Almighty. I'm a Jew. I need to learn what it says and do it. And for many of you listening, you understand it is a huge endeavor to take on going from living a secular life to learning and then doing and adapting an entirely new lifestyle, entirely new way of thinking. It's so insurmountable. And when we, I know so many of us, when we go to like our rabbi's Shabbos table and we see young children saying the Burkos Hamazon, saying these prayers, knowing so much that we're envious of young children and just thinking like, if only I could have grown up in such an environment, I wouldn't be learning the basics. I wouldn't be trying to play catch up with a six-year-old. And I think back, and I've thought about this a lot over the years, like at one point, all of our history, if we did come into this world as a secular Jew, there was, whether it's a grandparent, great-grandparent, great-great-grandparent, one of them were growing up, sitting around Shabbos table as a young child, saying those prayers as well. But at some point, I think it's pretty clear to conclude that one generation did not teach the next generation why we do those things, why we fulfill the mitzvot, why we keep Shabbos, why we keep kosher, why we know the Torah is true. And that doesn't get conveyed. Something just gets, it just gets conveyed on how to live as a Jew. But then those kids grow up and they don't know how to convey it to their kids because they never learned it. And eventually, as the world opened up and people begin to think that these are our man-made customs and our man-made traditions, and they're looking at the outside world saying their traditions look a lot easier, then we naturally move away from it. You know, our traditions did not originate by man. They originated at Mount Sinai from an infinite internal creator. And I think that is not being conveyed. There's something I always tell my sales team. I, I manage a sales team for an institutional investment management firm. 
And every Friday I have a sales call with them. I tell them the same thing over and over again. I say, if you want to grow your territories, keep our current clients happy. Make sure they understand and remember why they're doing business with us and build on that. And I built an entire practice management arm to do just that. So you can move them over there and then go focus on bringing in new business. And it seems like as a Jewish community that we're very focused and honed in on our craft at outreach. But at the same time, that same pattern that impacted my great-great-grandparents is impacting Jews today. I had someone very early on reach out to me, a from Jew, from from birth, and he informed me of this. And I just never really stopped and thought about it. Because when I asked him, why are you listening to my podcast? You're already living the dream. I'm trying to help get to where you're living. He said, no, a lot of us don't know why we're doing what we're doing. And he knows people that are leaving. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And that's why I thought, like, it's not my place, which I notice this. I mean, I'm very new to living in a Jewish community, two and a half years, still fumbling through the sitter at times throughout the year when it gets changed up. I'm still trying to learn how to live this lifestyle. Who am I to point out that there's a problem here? But there's something else that occurred to me that first year I was here. And that was I went to my shul on a Sunday morning to learn with one of my teachers. And I got there early. And I saw Rabbi Nagel sitting there online doing his Dafyomi teaching that he was recording for his podcast. And what I saw was just the most beautiful thing. I shared this with all of you many years ago after I witnessed that to try to encourage you to raise your children in such a community and outside from the secular world. But what I saw was a group of boys aged probably 10 to 16 sitting around him and learning on their own free will. They realized he was there teaching Dolph Yomi, Talmud, and they wanted to hear his teaching. And I just was contrasting that to what I was exposed to at that age, things that children should not be exposed to, things that hardened my heart and really just distanced me from the Almighty. And it, I was so overwhelmed with emotion. I just remember thinking to myself that I wanted to protect it. I just like remember thinking like, I just wanted to stretch out my arms and guard everyone in this community so that all the Jewish young people, that's all they're exposed to. They're not exposed to the things that I was exposed to. And I, I guess after more consideration, talking with Rabbi Nagel and getting him to agree to come on this podcast is my way, hopefully, of extending my arms around every Jewish community and seeing if we can find a way to close the revolving door of Torah-observant Judaism and make it a one-way door only in. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. So Rabbi Nagel, thank you for coming on and talking about this serious but touchy topic with us. Thank you, Dan. That intro was absolutely great. Teary-eyed, because like you're clearly conveying, it's a very painful topic. And you could explore a lot of things in this question. We could talk about why is it a revolving door in many ways? And what is it that we're, you know, losing people that grew up with, you know, immersed 
in Judaism, in practice of religion. And it's really, I thought it was very fascinating how you were saying how, you know, hey, everybody who's secular today had a grandfather or a great-grandfather that was completely religious. It didn't, you know, at some point. Right. And there was, and there was a loss, and there was a loss of, uh, there was a disconnect. And that's true, and it's, and it's heartbreaking. But it, you know, it's, it's, it's scary, because what's to make sure that we're not falling to the same flaw in our education of our young, that maybe the same lack is, is happening right, right now as we speak. Maybe we're not conveying this. Yeah, one of the things that that gentleman, who's become a dear friend of mine, that reached out to me early on, they grew up in a you know, Torah-observant community, and he said that to raise the question of how do we know Torah is true was almost, uh, I wouldn't say sacrilegious, it was almost like it was looked Taboo. down upon, which is, that's the, that's the church methodology. That's when I talk to Christians who, it's like, well, we, we're just told just to, that's what we believe, you have to have faith. Their, their idea of faith, which is, we don't have a word for it. their idea of just to believe in something without evidence, which is not something we do. The, the, I think that's part of the problem is, is we have evidence that Torah is true. And maybe that's just not being taught. That's one idea. It's interesting. I li- I'd like to just take a little bit of an exploration of how did this disconnect occur? I don't believe, honestly, if people grow up immersed in a religious environment, and are living a happy, fulfilled life. Even if they do not know the answers to these crucial questions, the likelihood of them looking outside for satisfaction is rare. They grew up happy, immersed in, in joy, and uh, with, with the religion. It's very unlikely they would look outside. And for millennium, for Jewish people, that was entirely sufficient. They may have not known the answers throughout Europe, There were tremendous scholars, but they're also, due to tremendous economic strain, and people just did not have the wherewithal to fully educate beyond basic reading Hebrew and Chomish, you know, learning the five books of Moshe, and reading Tehillim and prayer. That's all they knew for many, many people. But they were devoutly religious, and they found their religion completely, completely fulfilling. And it was fine. Right. It was actually only with the growth of economic prosperity, coming to America, being in a new world, the turmoil of the world wars, of throwing the entire world in, you know, topsy-turvy, or even a little bit earlier where there was the, what the movement called the Ascala movement of opening up. It's really opening them up and being welcomed more into right. the into the Gentiles' world that... These challenges came about, and it sucked a lot of people away from from a devoutly religious life. So it's very interesting. That's one. That's one thing. It's usually there's something that happened catastrophically in a in a communal sense that caused this to happen. And I think it was divinely orchestrated because the goal is not to you know like the fiddler on the roof tradition. The goal is not to just be existing and keeping tradition because why? Because it's tradition. <laughs> That's not the goal. And we are coming to a world now, and it's with the proliferation and the opportunities that abound of finding inspiration, finding the real answers. 
easily, readily at our fingertips, that actually the connection to Judaism is going to be deeper and more real and with a complete and honest intellectual, you know, rigorous intellectual analysis to determine and to know the truth of the religion. And that's really what my, the way I'm seeing it. This whole experience of what's going on is God's way of waking people up to come to the same realization that the new Baal Shuvah movement people have realized is that this is so compelling and so powerful. And people, you know, don't, they never realized what they were, that what they had the whole time. <laughs> and that's what, and that's what it's all about. Right. So it's not just like you say, a revolving door. It's not really what it is. What it is, is, is that it's waking up the entire world, including those people who are, who grew up with a religious lifestyle to come to that deeper realization that there's eternal truths in this. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about something I read from Rabbi Hirsch, and it was about a letter he wrote. So he was rabbi in Europe in the, I guess, 1840s. In Germany, you're right. And it was the time when the world was opening up, and the Jews had been given an opportunity once again to come out of the ghettos and interact with the world and do business and actually have some financial opportunity. And many rabbis inquired what he thinks about this, and basically what he wrote to them was fascinating. He said it could be a tremendous economic opportunity if we do one thing. If we take padlocks and put them around the doors to every synagogue and don't let anyone in and force the rabbis to spend time in all the homes. Meaning what he saw the rest of the world doing in Christianity was showing up and being religious once a week. And he didn't want us to follow that, to show up once a week. He wanted to make sure the rabbis were instilling in all the Jews why they're Jewish. And when that is instilled in them, as you said, then you can go out into the world and not assimilate into it, but just interact with it. It's so interesting. Just recently, I was talking about how the adversity, necessity creates invention. And that period of time, right when Rav, Rav Hirsch was, it is, you know, giving, studying and producing his tremendous works, there were many other great rabbis that were doing very similar activities of showing how the traditions that we do is all directly sourced to the written word of God. And and explaining that, and showing that, and illustrating that. And the reason why that was so important is because there was true, real challenges from the Reformed Judaism who were saying, what do you mean? The rabbis were just doing, you know, they invented all this, you know, the old, the trope of the people, you know, the bunch of bearded men and, you know, locked in a, in a smoke-filled room <laughs> coming up with <laughs> another thing to make our lives difficult. Right. <laughs> and showing that everything is based on the biblical word directly from God. And that line was never as clarified as in that generation. Why not? Because there was no need to explore that. These rabbis knew it to be so, but there was never a challenge on it. And until there was a challenge, it never needed to be shown and taught. Right. And so that's the, the point, is that that brought out that tremendous innovation, brilliance of these rabbis, they focused their tremendous copious intellect on this very subject to develop. And we are still the recipients today that the tshuva movement 
the rabbis are looking into these books to present the truth of Judaism to the new generation, all because of that challenge. So, I mean, you can look at it, you know, as the glass half full or the glass half right. empty. Yes. It's a, to me, it's a stage, it's a process. And in the process of getting this going, there's going to be people who, you know, didn't quite, didn't quite get the, they didn't access themselves. And I think that's really what, you know, what, what, what's available, what's available. But as time goes on, as podcasts are proliferating, it's, it will be there. There's going to be less and less of an excuse to say, well, I didn't know. And I think that what we're doing right now, right here, is part of the solution, but it's part of what God uh, in, intended, that there's going to be Baal Shuvah talking to a rabbi and discussing this very subject, and it going out there on the world, on the, on the, you know, the World Wide Web, and people will find it, and they'll say, you know what, what am I doing? And that itself is, to me, a very, you know, trying to put a positive spin on this process here. Because I think it's very, very important. God wants us to have a real deep and powerful and strong and f- with our full intellect, without that niggling doubt that, you know, like, well, look, I'm just taking it for granted. Hey, I mean, you could hear a lot of people say, well, doesn't every religion claim that their, you know, religion's great? And, you know, like, hey, you know, oh, like, are, they're so sure. And, you know, and like I've heard many people say, well, look, if you grew up Muslim, you'd be a religious, you know, rock-throwing uh, Muslim, you know what I'm saying? And like, uh, you know, like, who's, who's to say that our religion is right? Right. And that's a great question, but look into it. Yeah. And then open to the conversation up to have that. Because one of the things I've said on this podcast a lot is this English word of faith, to believe in something about evidence. I was repulsed from that at a young age, but then I learned we have evidence. And all the other religions, everything's built on we just believe without evidence. You have to accept it. You know, and we're not that. We want people to come. All of you rabbis have always said, what's your question? Bring them to me, right? And it seems like over time, we were protected by being in a ghetto to one respect, although we were impoverished. But then Hashem lets us leave to see how we do. And, and now, like you said, yes, we can distribute this conversation right now via podcasts through all these channels all over the globe. But that same medium also allows Jews to see everything going on around them. I'll tell you, Gabe, if you could share this with the audience, you spoke about something the other day that made me think I wanted to approach you about this podcast. And you were talking about the connection of Yokov putting Dina in the box to protect her from Esau and just hide her from the potential threat. And then the next scene because she wasn't aware of what the threat was, she put herself in harm's way. And I see that almost to a degree now. Like, let's put our young people in a box, except they're more savvy than us in how to find their way out of the box. Instead of like conveying like, here's what the danger is and why if I let you out of the box, you're not going to want to go near it. What, what are your thoughts on that? I'm glad that you brought that up because it's, it's really, I wasn't offering a solution in that discussion. I was making an observation. Right. The solution is not to put the children in a box. And the reason why it's not a solution is because it creates a curiosity 
an entirely innocent curiosity about the world around them that's like, well, why am I not allowed there? You know, kind of like in The Wizard of Oz, it's like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't look at that. That's not important. You know what I'm saying? That's exactly when you're going to go look. Right. Okay. You want to see what it is. So it's an it's an innocent curiosity and you have to uh, recognize it as not this is not they have no motives of making trouble but the the message that here's the way i see it we're in a world right now where there is no other way than having a very strong relationship with the next generation deep meaningful conversations between parents who have been there and done that who've seen the world and talking, open lines of communication with their children and explaining what they know and what they observe in this world. We can no longer get away with saying, do so because I said. Do as I say, and that's it. That generation is history. We don't live in that world anymore. Kids today need explanations. They demand explanations because they have complete access to the entire world that looks very beautiful and very exciting and very amazing. And obviously, you want to protect and needs to be age appropriate. But as they grow, it's more of a, it's incumbent upon us as adults to have deep, strong relationships where we are directly talking about these topics and not shying away from them and not saying, just avoid it. That's not good enough. Trust me. They don't trust you. I don't know. I hate to tell it to you. They don't trust. They want to understand. They don't, they're questioning not to, to defy us, but to understand. And to the best way that we have, we have to get it clear to ourselves, the whys. We have to educate ourselves to why things are inappropriate. Why is this not good? What's wrong with it? And we have to be able to have that strong line of communication. How do you think it's going to happen otherwise? Think about it. And to me, this is like I say, this is so divinely orchestrated that It's not good enough to just rely on the school system to pawn off the education and hope for the best and pray for the best. We need to, as the parents of our own children, to have deep, meaningful conversations on an ongoing basis, having meals together where we sit around and discuss the events of the day, discuss different issues, different challenges, open lines. And that's, the, in my mind, what the world turned into. You can't, it's so hard, you know, like parents that are, you know, trying to clamp down on their kids and not let them have this and that. It is entirely, you know, the kids, it's a joke. It's laughable from the kid's perspective. I can't gather 20 bucks together to go get a smartphone and have access to the entire world on my, uh, on the smartphone that I bought from Walgreens. I mean, seriously. Right. Are you? What are you trying to? Who are you fooling over here? This is the world that we live in. It is the world that there's complete access to everything. So there's no avoidance of direct communication, close relationships, warm relationships between parents and child, and that's the only, to me, the only only path forward. And, and encouraging, like what rabbis and Kiruv do. They encourage questions, you know, and and they don't know the the answer. Maybe say let's that's a great question. Let's go find the answer together. Because when it comes around these things about you know 
How do we know this is true? We see all these religions out there. It looks like a storefront, like a religious storefront, you know, and you see all these different shiny boxes. Theirs are much easier. You don't have to do much. Just make a declaration. And, you know, so it's like we, we want, I think, just to encourage that and, and, and not make them feel like they're, the kids are doing something wrong by saying, but how do we even know this is true? I think they may even feel like I'm, I'm a bad Jew for even asking that. And I think, like you said, it's, it starts in the home to encourage that. It's it's absolutely true. It's so interesting how you bring that up about you know the other religions. It's so so much easier. You could talk about within the streams of Judaism. How uh, I remember there's a book. I don't know if you've ever read it. The, the Bamboo Cradle. It was about a Jewish couple that found a baby at the doorstep that was a you know an abandoned girl, Chinese girl, and they uh, wanted her to be Jewish. I mean, they were Jewish, but they were completely secular Jews. And they went and they said, well, how do we convert this baby? And they were like, the, you know, the reform says, oh, you don't have to do anything. It's fine. <laughs> and right. to them, that wasn't enough. And like, they were like, oh, if you want, if that's good for you, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, right. whatever you like, you know, that's what they say. It's like, whatever's good for you is good for us. Right. And it's like, can't there, isn't there a, a real system? And then uh, when they came to the orthodoxy, they were like, it's like, no, you got to keep these laws. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no such thing as conversion without. And it was like, well, they, but they, they, they intuitively recognize that the easy path is very likely not to always be the true path. And uh, that, that's the, it's a tremendous story. I would recommend reading that they eventually became a beautifully religious family thanks to that. You know, baby on the doorstep. Amazing. Uh, it's an amazing wow. story, but uh, fascinating. But the point being is, is that it is a challenge. And absolutely, a, a question is, I was taught by my teachers back in, you know, when I was studying years and years ago, a question is a key to a treasure house. And just saying, taking any question, and that's really true about any question. And especially if it's a hard question, it's a key to a bigger treasure. And if you just look at that key and say, like, oh, just throw that out. It's not important. You know, like, ignore that key. That's terrible. You can be discouraged by it. So it, and it really is. It's like, don't discard the key. Take the key. And sometimes you have to find where the lock is. And you have to do more work. But when you open it up, you open yourself up to a tremendous treasure of information, of knowledge, of understanding, and depth that you didn't even imagine possible. And I'm sure you've experienced that. You know, sometimes you have what you think is like, well, this is a really good question. And then you explore it and then you look into it and then it's like, wow, this is mind blowing. This is eye opening. Right. I can't believe that I, uh, oh, what wealth I opened myself up to because of that question. Yeah, exactly. It seems like this generation's desire to know, not just obediently do. Is, is, is like what you're sort of alluding to already is it's, it's what Hashem needs for the final generations because we can't do our task at hand at being a light to the nations all barricaded and hidden in a ghetto somewhere. Like we're supposed to be like we just came out of Hanukkah putting our nishamas in the front window and shining them out to the rest of the world to be an influence on them, which means we need to, the next generation has to be able to stand firmly on their feet and do that and not be influenced by the outside world, but influence the outside world. It seems like that that is why this generation possibly just is why Hashem has sort of inspired them to say, I need to know why. Yeah, you can't be how uh, there's a famous uh, 
idea. Well, one of the great Talmudists of the last generation, Rav Chaim Brisker, used to say, if you cannot explain something to someone else, then you lack in the understanding of that thing. And that's such a crucial component of what we're talking about here. What you're saying is, it's like everyone needs to be that light. Well, if you're not going to be an eloquent ability to explain, well, what are those fringes that you're wearing? And can you explain that to me? So then how, you know, then you don't understand it. So uh, we have to work on making sure that we truly understand that because that's the idea that we should be able to explain it. And it creates like a tremendous, like you say, like a, a light. It provides a light into the nation saying, wow, this is, this is amazing. And, and where do you think the, how the responsibility should be shared in Jewish community between the parents and the educational system and the schools that are in place? Okay, so that's a, that's a, a, complete, a topic completely unto itself. But, I do, but we touched on it, so we have to, we have to deal with it. Right. My view is, is that you know, the reality of this world is, right now, that we still need to work to make a living. And parents are not able to be a full-time teacher to their own children. It's just the, the way the world still. I believe it's transitioning more and more that the way people are, are making a buck today is changing. And so we still, of course, need a school system for everyone to make sure that they have the opportunities of education to learn from people who are professional. And that's the way it is. But to pawn it off on a school is a mistake on many fronts. The school is limited in their ability to educate when they don't have good partners. And the best and the most of the education is happening still at home, and they there has to be a, it has to be a team effort. That's the real answer. It has to absolutely be a team effort. The father, the child, the mother, and the child—they're all working towards having those conversations, discussing at the table, you know, eating together at a meal, and having an opportunity to sit in a relaxed manner instead of everyone on their phones or, you know. Right. But in modern times, it's such a sad situation. Having intimate times with her kids. Hey, that's what do you think makes the biggest influence? I, I'm one of seven. I still remember to this day. And I grew up in a, I had an amazing childhood. I have no complaints at all. But the time that I had alone with my father, I still remember to this very day. We went on a ride somewhere. We ate at a restaurant. It's the only one time. That was just me and my father. Right. It was a family time. There was other times, but like that type of thing doesn't happen, okay, in a busy world that we're in today. Right. And we're just going to be, we have no choice but to drop that path, okay? We're going to have to have that ongoing, direct, personal relationship with each child as a complete individual. And it's a teamwork. The school's trying their best, and the school needs to trust the parents. The parents need to trust the schools. They need to have a meeting of the minds to say that we're on the same page, and, and that's the only way that we'll be successful. Okay, to be fair, though, to traditional Jewish family, which is, does not look like mine, where you have one kid. So you have inflation. A lot of times now it takes both the, the husband and wife to work. And there's multiple kids. Like you said, you were one of seven. That's the norm. So you have two parents working, seven kids, probably on the low end, and how does someone, I don't know how someone would make that level of connection 
with each child after a busy day at work. All coming home, then you have errands, and then you're getting ready for Shabbos. I guess you have that one little moment of the Shabbos meal, and that's where it has to take place. But sometimes you got young kids. I can just imagine. I mean, it's not. It's easy to say, but it seems like a lot harder to do. I don't deny it. It's absolutely hard to do. <laughs> but here's the real. The real truth is, is that this world is an illusion. It's a complete illusion. Most of the time, we think, well, I have to answer these emails. They can wait. Guess what? They can wait. Right. All the things that we find ourselves so busy with can wait. Right. You know, it's a mistake to assume that all this, you know, that you can't have a good, healthy, one-on-one relationship with each of your children, even if you have a large family. My wife's mother came from one of 10, to one of 10 children. So her grandfather was a, a school teacher who actually taught you know, a small world. He was my father's seventh grade and eighth grade teacher. Wow. Okay. His wife worked all the years because, you know, a teacher's salary is not going to cover a Rebbe, you know, a teacher's salary is not going to co- cut it. And they had 10 children. And someone asked, and that was when it was not so in vogue to have very large families. I don't know if you know that, you know, historically it was like there was a period of time when, you know, large families weren't, were like not in vogue at all. And then later on, more recently, it became more in vogue. But someone asked my wife's grandmother, she was a very clever woman, asked, well, how do you divide your love between your children? So she says, I don't divide, I multiply. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice joke. But what does that mean? It means that there's people mistake that that when when there's a larger family, there's a lot more love to go around. Because the older children have interactions and are educational to the younger children right. in the family. It's compounded. It's truly compounded. If you have a strong relationship with one of your children and deep relationship, that compounds to the other child right. and to other Makes children. Sense. So that's really, you know, I still, I, I'm, I, you know, there's a, there's a nine-year age gap between my youngest brother and myself. I'm like the second. And he said, I was the one, I had no idea, I didn't even recall this. I was the one who put him to sleep and told him stories. My father told me the stories at night, but I repeated them and said some new ones for myself, you know, on my own, to my younger brother, who was nine years my my, my younger. Children are naturally, if they're raised right with a lot of love, it's only going to compound the love. So I think it's very important to recognize that those things that we think are taking us so, so busy, we can't find time in our head it's only in our head right okay very good point i want to get back to the touch back on the school just a little bit one of the share you gave on shabbos which was amazing talking about how we define who we are and we're in our our needs it's more of a collective you know this whole thing on the education too do we for maybe families that are having struggling are struggling communicating that and they're not going to come forward and, and say that or maybe they don't know the answers at coming together as community and saying here's some things that we need to make sure the schools are teaching for the other kids that maybe i'm not the parent to i mean the, the in these in these things that answer these questions like we sort of started with why we know tour is true I, I guess that's really what i'm getting at to make sure that the kids who maybe aren't unable to get that at home, that they have that too. I don't know where the cross is. I don't know where the balance is. You could sort of maybe talk a little bit more to that. Where, Okay, so if I'm, a, if I'm getting the question right, and this is I hope I am, okay, the, what you're addressing is, is that bottom line is it's great 
for a rabbi, for instance, to, who is steeped in education and knows the answers to so many questions, right. to have that ability to convey to his children directly. And people are connected, let's say, and you know they are, have a good relationship with their rabbi, and therefore they can ask the rabbi when they don't know the answers, and they will be able to now also provide that deeper understanding to their child. But what about the people who are just here, who don't have that right, and lack exactly. that? And then more is going to be on the, the burden is going to be heavier on the school. And what are we to do? I mean, the school is, what you're, if you're saying, is that you believe that they're lacking in dealing with much of these core questions. And that's and maybe what you're saying is perhaps it's a failure in the educational system that it, these are not core subjects to discuss or to learn. And I don't know, it's a painful subject because I believe you might be right that 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 a lot of schools you know, don't get the best grades in teaching these core things. I do feel, however, that it shouldn't be a particular course. Okay. I do feel that it really should be permeating all the Judaic subjects as an opportunity for the teacher to touch on these very important questions. And and I think, you know, I mean, if you'd go to the school system and speak to the teachers and find out, it's like, does these ideas ever get conveyed? And they say, they will tell you probably absolutely. It's not a class. It's permeating the class okay. in opportunities when the question when it's the most alive because a child raised a, a question that woke up this topic and it was an, a living opportunity that the teacher grabbed on to take time out of the schedule and out of the you know rigorous curriculum that we have to it's like well we have to turn the page today because you know we right. god forbid we fall a day behind in our and it's like they, they i do think that a good school would recognize that as the the right thing to do at that time is to stop and make that the focal point of the class because that's especially when it, especially when it's woken up in the class right that's what a good educator would would recognize as like and the and the curriculum is curriculum curriculum you know what i'm saying like right. this is what it's all about yeah and hopefully i mean I mean, I, I would rec- I would recommend you go to let's say the teachers of your of your children and say, tell me, uh, you know, like like what is your view on this? Do you do you feel that this is? And I think nine out of ten. I don't know if I'm right. The true educators recognize this as so crucial, especially to the current generation, that they would absolutely take the time out to make it you know make it a focal point. And you know, like we'll we'll have to wait on you know finishing the you know the section <laughs> right for a little bit. And I think I think I I hope I would like to believe you know that the teachers that we have in our community are they they you know they didn't do this for because it's the most lucrative job right you right know? yeah <laughs> they're doing it because they're in it but for God's sake yes and it, that that's what's motivating them. Mm. 
and they're motivated to give over to the next generation. And they recognize, they have their finger on the pulse of what the challenges are. You talk to any of the teachers, of the, of the rabbis that are teaching in the schools, they know exactly what the difficulties are. There's people who have personal challenges, and these are very, very difficult times that we even live in. But they recognize that you know, if they can get an opportunity like this, they would grab such an opportunity. I believe that. I really would like to believe that. I think it is true by and large. Sure. And again, you know, the maybe in the you know, there's these organizations that help schools. I think that bringing it over there, that giving them you know the information in a way that's easily conveyable to children, you know, like on a. That was like there's this organization Torah Masora that came down. We had a, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They are uh, over. They connect with day schools all over the country. I think that be then they help with curriculum. I kind of think that's the organization you would talk to and say, look, well, how is this like? Like, is there like some higher up people who are really good at conveying this information that could be? giving over to the teacher when the opportunity arises to be able to like explain things in such a clear way is necessary to educate the next generation and connect to them. It's connections. It's all about connections. Right. Amazing, Rabbi. I appreciate you coming on discussing this. I want to sort of recap for the listener some key points maybe to walk away with. And, and one is as parents is just not only encouraging questions and trying to get our children to ask questions. But if we can't clearly answer the question to bring in the, bring in someone else, rabbi or learn it for yourself to be able to answer these questions or remove these doubts, right? That that's one is just is encouraging those type of questions. We don't want them thinking in their head, how we know this is true and never having that question answered. Right. I think that was a key thing you can absolutely, yeah, and and then just continuing to work with our schools. But I think the main thing you were saying is it's and it's sort of our responsibility, right? It's on us. Absolutely, it's a an excuse to say, well, what could I do? The school's not not teaching to that. That's an excuse, and one should never let himself get away with excuses. I'm sure you don't let it in in work. You know, they have every great excuse. Like, why didn't they get this client? Like, well, why don't you, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. well, you find ways. And that's the answer. You know, we have, a, we have time, time crunches, all kinds of things, deadlines and everything. They are all excuses. <laughs> like, right. And, and as long as it really goes with our hierarchy, what is our hierarchy over here? It's like, how important is it? And if it's really important, then it fills the slot first right and then you work around that and and to understand what's at stake here you know really because i think people take for granted like my kids will grow up from my grandkids will grow up from and to understand like once you go away it's it's so dangerous and not only is it hard to come back but once intermarriage enters that's when everything really starts to break apart the challenges only compound tremendously yeah and that's why I said, let's keep... And we can't afford to lose anyone. That's right. really the exactly. truth. We cannot afford to lose anyone. Rabbi, thank you so much. I appreciate your time as always. It's always great being here. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page. 
And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.